You're listening to the Illustration Hour podcast, an interview podcast where I talk to illustrators, art directors, and agents about the craft and business of illustration. My name is Julia Dufosse, and I'm an editorial and commercial illustrator based in Chicago. And I'm chatting with creatives within the world of illustration to learn about their process, the challenges they faced along the way, and how to succeed as an illustrator today. Hello and welcome back to the Illustration Hour. I'm your host, Julia Dufosse. And first of all, let me open by saying that I hope you're doing well in this time of intense trauma and loss. COVID-19 has truly touched almost every single human on Earth at this point. And I hope you will join me in diligently following the guidelines set by healthcare professionals, if you can afford to do so. So stay well practice good social distancing habits, and continue fostering your creative output if you can. You know, there are tons of great free resources out there, and uh, right now a lot of people are sharing them. There's resources to help you learn new skills or deepen ones you already have. I've shared a few of those resources in my newsletter, Art Club, and I'll continue to do so as I find them. So if you're doing anything special in these times, personal projects, or using your skills to help in any way, or if you found a helpful resource that you think other creatives might benefit from, then uh, please shoot me an email at illustrationhourpodcast at gmail.com. I'd really love to know what all of you are doing with this time. Okay, enough about current affairs for now. Um, I'd like to introduce my guest on the show today. Nikki Field is the head of illustration at Jelly London. You might have heard of Jelly before, and that is because they are one of the biggest and most reputable illustration and animation agencies in the UK and in the world. They have an impressive roster of artists signed on, and they are one of the most vocal and innovative agencies out there with programs like their Futures Initiative, where they identify young, promising talent and coach and guide them to help them develop work that will get them big commercial commissions. So I was very lucky to get this opportunity to talk with Nikki, who, as you can imagine, is a very busy person. So in this episode, we talk about Nikki's path towards becoming an agent, why she went to school for illustration, how she scouts for talent, and what she thinks about style and many other topics. We talk about Instagram, we talk about portfolios, and we talk about when to think about getting an agent. So there's some really good and actionable advice in here from an agent who has a lot of experience with the illustration industry. And I think this will be a very helpful conversation for a lot of you. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Nikki Field. Hey, Nikki, welcome to the show. Hi there. Yeah, I'm really happy to have you on finally. I know uh, we were talking a little bit during the whole, uh, I think it was the turn up 
Uh, so that was during the whole uh, UK election cycle, right? Um, yes, it was. It was, which was only just before Christmas now. So, yes, we had another snap election. And thank you so much for, um, you know, giving us a shout out and helping with that. Yeah, no, it was no problem. It seems like the campaign was uh, overall a success. It was. It was. I think it was, um, you know, we ran it first of all in 2017, and um, you know, sort of wasn't necessarily expecting that we would be in a similar position again, but we were. Um, and it was, yeah, it was good. It was just really lovely how the community, the creative community, kind of really came behind it and rallied against it. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, towards the campaign. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was. Yeah, I, I find that illustrators as a community as a are very active in that way, and they'll really rally around. Uh, important moments like that. Definitely, definitely. So let's let's talk a little bit more about who you are and and what you do. Sure. Um, so I I head up the illustration department at Jelly in London. Um, so I've been an agent now for ooh, about fourteen years, um, and I've been at Jelly for seven of those. Um, and so I guess. You know, I work very closely with Charlie Sells, who's our founder, and Chris Page, who is our owner. Um, and as a company, we've been going for 15 years. It's our birthday next week, so I, I know that. <laughs> and um, yeah, I sort of, you know, manage the illustration side of things as a whole um, through to the day-to-day -day stuff of, you know, obviously working really closely with our artists, curating our roster, driving forward new business, inquiries, negotiating, all sorts, all sorts. That's a lot. It is, it is. But I do, I do love it. I do truly love it. So it's good. <laughs> so where were you before Jelly? So I worked at an illustration agency in Brighton called Agency Rush. And I was there for nearly seven years and when I left I was like um, and I loved it it was my first job out of uni and I was very fortunate to work alongside the founder Helen Rush um, and it was fantastic and I learned so much and I thought right next job I won't be there for that long again <laughs> <laughs> but you know I love it and I love the company so I've you know I've hung around Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, it was it a smaller uh, agency than Jelly? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We were much more. Um, I think Jelly is much more of we're a production company, and the way that the company was founded was always with collaboration at its core, with very sort of hybrid capabilities across animation and illustration. And we've always represented animation directors as well as illustrators and lettering artists from day dot. Mm -hmm. So our business model is quite different. Um, and especially when it comes to animation production, you know, that's a whole other kind of kettle of fish. Whereas Agency Rush was not necessarily smaller in roster size, but we were much more illustration focused. And, um, you know, in the first year or two, at least, it really was sort of Helen and myself mm -hmm. kind of internally. So the internal setup was very different. Yeah. So I guess what sets Jelly apart from 
a lot of other agencies is that you guys have just you seem to have like much more in terms of production capabilities. Yeah. And you have a huge roster of illustrators, but you also have a huge rosters of art directors, right? And uh uh animators. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's kind of really curious. I always think it's so interesting that, you know, when Charlie founded Jelly, she so strongly wanted to have that offering, you know, kind of really high-end animation and working, you know, on TV campaigns and that side of it as well as the illustration side of it. And it kind of it, it you know, to our client base and towards agencies and stuff, it, you know, it was sort of almost a little bit confusing. Whereas now it just makes total sense. Um and we're still really the only company in London that sort of does that to such an extent. And I love it. And I think there's also such a, you know, a blend in the middle of both sides of the business that also we're always sort of really looking at and finding ways to push forward is this kind of middle ground of, you know, we can, we can animate any of our artists work and bring that to life, which means we can bring so many more styles to the table on an animation project and vice versa. It's just so natural now for illustrators to want to have their work brought to life through motion. Um, uh-huh. So I'm always really excited about that as well. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Charlie, the founder, right, uh, was was really ahead of of time when she decided to kind of pursue that kind of model. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, because because now it's really in demand. I mean, uh, we constantly hear as illustrators that uh, there's more and more demand for animating uh, our work uh, that you should be able to do. You know. A simple gif at least with your work um and it could feel like there's a lot of pressure on the artist but i guess uh at jelly you kind of offer that opportunity for all your um illustrators as well definitely well and i think i think it, it you know i think always the best gifs may be less so but then when you're talking about longer form pieces you know animation is such a technical skill I don't think it's necessarily always the right solution to expect illustrators and artists to be able to animate themselves. I think sometimes mm-hmm. the best combination is pairing them up to make sure that they really bring their work to life in the right technical way with the right animator. Um, mm-hmm. So it's always really collaborative in that yeah, way. Yeah, you, you really can't expect an illustrator to know all the technicalities of, yeah. of animation. It's a job unto itself. Yeah. Even in animation, there's people, I mean, there's such separation of labor. It's what I've heard from people who are more into animation, that it doesn't make sense to have one person do everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, then, and you can both spend your time, your time doing the bit that you're really good at and divide Mm -hmm. and conquer that way. Yeah. So I want to know more about what your job is like uh, on a more concrete level. Uh, what do you tend to do uh, on a day-to-day as head of illustration at Jelly? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I'm sure it varies. (laughs) It does, you know, and I think that's also the thing is like every day is always different and every week is always different. Um, You know, so there's, I guess on a day-to-day basis, there's always a lot of client-facing stuff. So, you know, there's anything from, 
new business presentations through to um, kickoff calls on projects or, you know, trying to really understand what a client is asking of an artist if they get in touch with them directly to try to help estimate that and scope that out Mm -hmm. through to taking a client for a beer or taking an artist for a beer and having a catch up and sort of really kind of seeing how they're getting on maybe if they've been a little bit quieter kind of doing a bit of a brainstorm through to doing half an hour of admin and then trying to send out tons of emails because then we're doing a sales trip in a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. through to internal meetings about marketing initiatives and all sorts yeah (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I imagine. Do you work personally <laughs> with with every one of the illustrators that is on the Jelly roster? Because there's quite a lot of them. Yes. So we have, um, on the illustration side of things, we have a team. Um, so there's myself. We have another illustration agent, Sarah. We have a dedicated illustration project manager, Ross. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Lou Bones, who... Um, has just recently joined us as a hybrid animation illustration agent. She was previously at the AOI. Um, and then Chris and Charlie are really always so actively involved as well. Mm-hmm. So we have a we have a core team, but we we're always um, you know, we all have very clearly defined roles, but it's not that I know some agencies sort of specifically some agents look after some artists and vice yeah. versa we all we all want to be very personable and we all know and i think we've always thought about the company in that way you mm-hmm. know that we're a we're a family and i i don't mean that to sound twee corny yeah. it's just yeah because yeah, it does a little bit but it's like it's just always so important to me and for all of us to we all need to have really concrete relationships with our talent and also mm-hmm. with clients because that's how you get the best out of any creative project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes people have a tendency to think about representation as something relatively impersonal. Yeah. And that's quite scary in a way. Yeah, it scares me because I really dislike that idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's not how, um, it's not, uh, I, I sort of was sort of always I, I feel like there's occasions where we always really try and dispel that myth of um an agent you know I remember one time um a student telling me that you know one of their tutors or something had meant had just a really throwaway comment about how agents were bad or something and I was like mm-hmm. whoa what like that's a bit nuts to me you know like we're all you know I I, I know for us you know we do this because we love it and we really care about it and we're passionate about it we want to be really supportive towards our artists and we're all in it for the greater good to try to gain work together and the right kind of work and all of that and yeah I, I really hate that idea of it feeling so impersonal because I to me that's not at all what it's about yeah, and I think some of it is also viewing the agent as somewhat of an opportunist uh, who comes in and does something that might not be necessary. And this is kind of like the 
the idea, I guess, not, it's not me speaking, but, mm. um, and, and there's this kind of paradigm of the Hollywood movie star agent that I think also gets folded into that. Uh, it's like somewhat of a, an opportunist that has very little backbone and just wants to make money. Uh, mm. That's kind of like the, the overarching like image of an agent that's in popular culture. Um, but I think it's very different also in illustration, but it's also like, I don't know. How do you see what what do you think is the kind of the role of an agent, and why is there a need for an agent in certain situations? In, in illustration, I mean, I think it's I think it's twofold. I think from a from a kind of bis, from a business perspective, I think it's it's about making sure that the artist and the creative has space to do what they are really good at what their talents are and you know they ideally need to be spending their very valuable time making work and being creative and there is so many components of you know trying to push forward a creative career that you know the promotion side of it the paperwork side of it doing the negotiations gatekeeping on inquiries Mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff that is just so time consuming that you know an agent you know we we sort of we do all of that stuff and because we do it so often it's like if an inquiry lands quite quickly kind of based on my experience I can kind of sniff out if it's something I'm I'm like okay I think they're going to have about this much money on this or I'm not really sure about that one or, oh my God, this is an amazing opportunity and we can kind of help. So I see it as very complimentary, you know, Mm -hmm. the bits that like I, I sort of, I studied illustration and I wasn't very good at it. And I don't mean that in a self-deprecating way. It's just, it's such a, it's so, you have to be so multi-skilled you know, you've got to create something really visually beautiful, engaging. You've got to be able to answer to a brief, mm-hmm. and you're communicating something at the same time. And I just think an agent should be supportive of that by taking the pressure off of all the other stuff that we're good at and we're confident about. You know, like having that tricky client conversational negotiation where an artist might not feel that they want to do that or could do that in such a constructive way. Mm-hmm but I can't do what they do. So it's, it's kind of like two sides to the coin. Uh-huh. Um, and also I think about being supportive because it's, it's a really tough career to be a commercial artist and to, you know, to, you, you kind of want someone championing your work and supporting you and knowing that they've, you've, they've always got your back. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, those are kind of the most that those are kind of the most integral things that I think are important to be an agent. Mm. That's so funny that you mentioned uh, having studied illustration. I often wonder if, uh, if if a lot of agents in in the illustration world are actually studied illustration. Um, is that? Do you think that's most of them? Ooh, now I'm now I'm thinking of people I know, and I'm trying mm. to. <laughs> um, I definitely know some that have. Um, I definitely know of some that still do pra- do practices in illustration, still have their own mm-hmm. careers as well as being agents. Um, I think 
I, I think in, in my experience, I think it just gives, it, it kind of gave me an insight into how really tough it is mm-hmm. and how actually you, it is this kind of weird, supremely, supreme kind of mix of talents that kind of come together in a way that it, it is quite unique. And for me, it kind of really sucked me into it and I really wanted to be around it. And I've always been a helpful person and wanting to kind of, you know, and it sort of do what I can to help and support and assist. And in kind of recognising that I wasn't cut out for it myself. And I knew this quite early on. It's not even like I tried to have an illustration career for a year and a half. I nearly I nearly left my degree halfway through because I was mm. like finding it really, really hard to make creative work. But I knew that I wanted to be surrounded by it and was kind of inspired by it and these people that could do it. Like, how could I help them? I kind of knew that mm-hmm. early on. That's really interesting. I, I can't imagine that. Yeah, that's that's such an interesting um, experience. I don't know. I just, did you immediately realize that a, being an agent was a viable alternative for you or how did it work no, out? I had no idea. <laughs> I think I was incredibly, I was incredibly lucky in that I, um, I sort of went to talk to our course leader and he was in the throes of setting up what would become Agency Rush. Um, and so I kind of, through having those conversations, um, I kind of, there, there was then an opportunity to do work experience. And I'll be really honest, I still didn't even then really understand what an agent was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that also, I really care about is that I think there are lots of people who are going through an arts education who maybe feel the same in that they are really creative people and they have an understanding for it but they maybe aren't creative themselves but the Mm -hmm. industry is full of these people but when I think when you're in that situation you don't you're not told enough about that Um, so I don't know. I think I was, I was, I think I was very, I I was lucky. I worked really hard at that opportunity, but mm-hmm. I think I was, I was lucky that there was an opportunity there for me to kind of grab at and go yeah. for and kind of that right place, right time thing. Yeah. And as I fell into it, I then realized that actually it kind of, ticked all the boxes for me and I moved more and more in that direction Mm -hmm. I yeah I think being an agent is such a it's you were talking about how illustration requires so many different skills but I think being an agent also requires so many different skills because part of it is client facing and business negotiation all those things but also public relations I guess but then the other part is also managing somebody managing an artist and dealing with that um it seems like there's so many balls to juggle at the same time um and i was wondering like do you think most of your time is spent dealing with clients or dealing with illustrators like do you have a an idea of how your time is divided 
I think it's, I think it would probably, I think it would probably lean more towards clients actually, just mm-hmm. in, ter- in terms of, um, but I think it's sort of, uh, it goes through spurts. Yeah. Sort of, you know, over the, over the weeks, you know, it's like one week I might have four or five different artist catch ups. But then the next two weeks, I might have a really intense burst of client meetings. Um, so, it, it, but I think that it's really, really important that we keep up with our artists and we have a really close relationship with them and we are spending that time with them. But then if we aren't being proactive enough in gaining them the right opportunities, that is at the very core of what we need to be doing as agents. So it, it, it doesn't really matter if we're spending loads of time with the artists if we're not being proactive enough with the promotion of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's like a, a tricky game also of, of dealing with the expectations of the artist and delivering, but also, I guess, explaining how it works. I imagine sometimes it's quite tough. Yeah, I think it's... um. And every artisan's scenario is different, you know. Some people, when we first take them on, will sort of have already got work coming into them directly. And, you know, sometimes they're really just newly starting out. We take them on and they just absolutely fly off the starting blocks. Mm-hmm. And other times we can work with art- an artist for a couple of years and it's it's slow and we were like wow this is so interesting like what's going and then we work really closely with the artist to sort of help you know be really directional and try to figure out you know well could we let's what about if we moved in the sort of in this direction always in line with where they want to go creatively but try to sort of and and also it's so trend-based as well it's Mm -hmm. really um it's always fascinating to me because you can have such a strong gut feel about what's going to work in certain scenarios or for certain clients or for certain, and sometimes you're proven absolutely right and it can be really successful. And other times it, 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 you know, so we're always, we're always, I've completely forgotten what I was saying. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, but I I guess what's interesting also is that you want to, in a way, you want to follow trends, but you also want to find p- people who, who are going to set their own, um, who are going to set a trend yes. for the industry as a whole. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Which kind of segues into a- another question that I have, which is, well, first of all, do you actually, are you actually responsible for r- recruiting illustrators that you're going to represent or is that a yes. separate? Yes. Okay. Yes. So how, how do you usually, um, scout for for talent um um i mean i am so regularly falling down an instagram rabbit hole mm. all the time you know between us um eri in new york and then sarah and lou and um you know we're always sending stuff to each other on instagram backwards and forwards all the time um and getting so excited <gasps> like oh my god is there something really magical in this and have you mm-hmm. seen this and oh i bought a print from that person two months ago and (laughs) so it's a very it's a very collaborative process between all of us Mm -hmm. um 
we receive tons of submissions, which we do. We look at everything. Right. Um, and also, you know, we're always very active and always on the lookout kind of around the grad shows and DNA D new blood um, and things like that. So we're always, we're always looking, definitely. And what do you tend to look for in, in people? Um, how, how do you gauge if, if someone's going to be a good fit for, for jelly or if they're even ready to be represented, I guess? I think the thing to me that is, for me personally, it's when I get excited about something. And I know that that is a really, you know, it's not, that doesn't really give any clear parameters or anything, but it's a bit like there is so much out there and there are so many artists out there and it's so competitive and it's so saturated. And, you know, Instagram is brilliant for so many reasons and so is other social media, but also we're all so exposed to stuff visually all the time. Like when I see something in somebody's body of work that I feel is there's something unique to it or there's something different about it or they've got a really interesting voice within it and maybe it's not a whole body of work. Maybe there's just three or four pieces or I've been following them for a while and I see them do something new. It just it sparks something and it's mm. a, okay, right, let's share this. What does everyone else think? Let's have a conversation with that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I kind of think the, the the most practical thing that I could take from that is is to be doing something that feels very true to you because then I think you can't really go wrong. It might mm-hmm. not be somebody's taste, but at least you're you're not trying to fit into a trend or be current right now. You're mm-hmm. doing something that feels very true to yourself, and you're kind of exploring your own visual look and feel and language and your voice within that then that's also going to have longevity because I think as an agent that's the thing you need to look for as well do you look for um concrete work experience when you're thinking about signing somebody or is that not something you really uh is that something you're willing to kind of look over if you find somebody that really excites you it it depends I mean that that is actually, you know, the very reason that we set up futures, mm-hmm. um, because clients so often want to see work that's in a proven context, see how it's worked. For, they do, yeah, mm. so often, like see how it's worked for X, Y, and Z brand, so they can sell it in themselves to prove mm-hmm. that it's worked mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it um. And it helps them show the people in their team or the powers that be that have to approve things or hold the purse strings, you know, how that has worked in a commercial capacity to help them with the selling. Because not everybody in that process is kind of is as visual or can see it as much mm-hmm. as they can. So that is so important. And so is brand association and all of that. So actually, we started Futures because essentially what we were saying was um, we know these artists don't have that, actually. Mm -hmm. 
But we have that as a company. You can see all of our creds and all of our other artists and we know what we're doing and we are saying we think there's something really exciting in this work mm-hmm. and we've met them, we've gotten to know them. They don't have a full portfolio yet. They don't have this the commercial context. They haven't necessarily got the experience yet, but we we want you to look at their work anyway because this is really exciting. Mm-hmm. And so you're standing behind them and doing so. Um, yeah. And kind of saying, yeah, you see something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. Um, I, just to return to what you were saying when you were talking about clients wanting to see work, you're talking mostly about uh, big brands and clients in the commercial realm, not necessarily – I guess, publications or things like that, right? Yeah, no, 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 much more. I think, you know, I think I think generally, you know, publications and editorial art directors, mm-hmm. are, because they have such a high volume, you know, they're incredibly active and brilliant at championing emerging talent and, you know, different artists because it's much more fast turnaround and they have more to commission. It's definitely the the kind of advertising brands where everything mm-hmm. is very slow moving and there's more money on the table and mm-hmm. it's decision by committee. It's it's those things where you really And there's need more to, risk for them too. I mean Well exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so uh, do you also ha- uh, handle um editorial work for for artists or not so much? We do, we do. For some of our artists that we, we do, um, we do, especially for most of our futures artists, just mm-hmm. because sometimes those briefs are, they just a re- they tend to be the briefs you pick up as soon as you're starting out. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still so much we can bring to it in the very first instance when it comes to negotiating the paperwork and checking the rights and negotiating the fee up and, mm-hmm. you know, helping somebody manage their time in the most effective way when it comes to our artists and that sort of stuff. So um, it, it kind of varies across our roster, if I'm mm-hmm. completely frank. Now, my understanding of, of editorial work, and it, it's quite limited in terms of the negotiation aspect, but I always thought that negotiation wasn't really a thing for those um for those types of work because i always thought there's already budget and there's not really any negotiating um the price you're going to get for that like if the new yorker comes to you and says a price you kind of have to you can't really negotiate with them am i wrong in assuming this i think it depends there are certain publications that Um, And I think especially when they're very well known or if they're newspapers that tend to have page rates and things like that, that are very set. Um, But I mean, I tend to always ask Mm -hmm. because if you, if you don't ask, then you won't, (laughs) you won't get any extra. And even if, you know, (laughs) and even if it is just an extra hundred pounds or if it is an extra $500 or, you know, but then the negotiation isn't always necessarily always based on the finance part of it and the fee mm-hmm. part of it. It can also, like, so often, because also publications are being so squeezed, which we totally understand, but so often there's rights negotiations to be had, mm-hmm. um, which I think if artists aren't 
always hot on, they can quite quickly be giving away their copyright on a $600 job, which isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily, you know, isn't the best scenario. So... And do you find that there is leeway in those kinds of conversations about about rights? Um, with I would say with editorial, maybe not as much as there used to be, but I definitely there definitely used to be cases where I'd be like, mm, I don't think we can do that. Do you have a set? Do you have a slightly different contract? They'd be like, Oh, I sent you the wrong one. <laughs> mm, that's <laughs> <Here you weird. laughs> okay. Oh, that's strange. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going way, way, way back now. And um, you know, so you you can you can you can not always, um, but it's always worth asking. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, when you're saying signing away your rights, you mean like giving them exclusive rights to your work? Um, yeah, and the mm-hmm. copyright and the ownership. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's it, it is troubling. I mean, and I often worry more about the usage right, but I guess it's different from copyright, because um, copyright means they technically own it, right? Yeah. Well, the whole the whole sort of um, you know usage. If you have given away your copyright, you can't claim any usage because you have transferred all of your ownership in your mm-hmm. work. Um, so that's where it, being really vigilant on that you know and it crops up a lot a lot in ndas as well you know mm-hmm. there's been ndas that i've signed recently where i've had to strike out clauses that relate to copyright and ip when all i'm signing is confidentiality agreement and we don't even know the parameters of the project yet mm-hmm. so and once you've done that then you can't you can't talk about licenses or usage because you've already effectively in a corporate sense, given it all, given away your ownership, mm-hmm. so it's it's something that artists have to be really really hot on. Yeah, it's something super tricky uh, for most artists and illustrators to to actually actually do themselves because it takes a lot of experience. I imagine dealing with these documents um, to actually spot those clauses that are concerning. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's I would just generally anything where it's. Yeah, no, you're right. Because anything where it mentions, sometimes I have to reread a clause like six times and then, or read something and I'll share it with Chris because it's like, okay, I know that I've read this same thing probably about 10 million times, but they phrased it in such a legal heavy roundabout different way. I'm like, I don't understand what that means. <laughs> and usually when you get that feeling, I imagine it's not good because yes. that's what I've heard. If if it sounds a little bit weird to you as a then normal person. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Generally yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's something I've heard somebody tell me as advice. Like if it, if it sounds like there's something a little fishy to you, yeah. um, then it probably is in legal terms. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I want to transition a little bit more into talking about um, illustrators more more concretely. Mm. I wanted to know what you've already talked about what you look for in people you're wanting to represent or people you're noticing. Um, but in terms of the portfolio aspect, how big of a role does the person's portfolio um, play in, in selecting an artist? Or It's it's hugely important, but I think also 
what is important as well is the person behind the portfolio um because the work the work obviously has to be there has to be something in the work that we fall in love with and we can as well as caring about it being excited about it and creatively passionate about it we have to see the commercial how it can apply commercially and the longevity in it to work in a commercial way mm-hmm. but also it's about the person um it, because sometimes you can you know a, port- a portfolio is always evolving it's never a constant thing mm-hmm. and i think especially because we do work so closely with our artists and you know the ambition is to be achieving some you know nice big juicy projects but also those projects can get quite intense because Mm -hmm. the stakes are high and it comes back to that communication and trust thing with an agent and your agent you have to be able to communicate with that person. You have to trust them fully and be really open with them and honest and really transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I think, so we always try to meet somebody in person. Um, so the portfolio has to be there, but maybe but it's not the only thing. Yeah. It's not the only thing. And if the portfolio isn't f- quite fully there, but there's something about the person you think, oh, their attitude is bang on or they are so driven or oh, they are like I'm trying really hard not to swear like <laughs> <laughs> that's okay like, even if you that's do. okay you know like uh you know like fuck me they are fantastic they are their their drive alone is gonna get them there mm-hmm. but their portfolio needs some work then we still know we can go on that journey with them mm-hmm. and, so and it's both What's a good portfolio for you, I guess? And what types of things do you look for beyond the obvious uh, concrete work? You know, if somebody doesn't have that work experience, what makes a good portfolio, I guess, in that case? I think it's showing, I think a good portfolio, regardless of whether you've got the commercial context or not, I think a good portfolio should be should be concise enough in terms of the style and showing your like your own hand as an artist so people can understand your visual language or your look and feel or your style or whatever whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it that thing that defines you I'm always so keen and what really excites me is like really trying to work with an artist and kind of help you know tease out of them what's their point of difference like why is a client going to pick their work over someone else's what Mm -hmm. what makes it different and I think you have to do as much as you can to demonstrate that in your portfolio Mm -hmm. but within having a style showing uh, trying to show as much versatility and how you can apply that yeah within it so it's sort of so there's like a there's threads within it. It's not the same image like ten times repeated. And, right. You know, it, 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 it's it's a maybe it's an environment scene, and maybe then it's a portrait, and then maybe it's some spot illustrations, and then maybe it's something mixed media, or you know, that sounds really like I'm putting it in boxes, and I'm trying not to, but I'm also trying to be as define it as much as I can. Uh, it, 
Do you know what I mean? Does I that do, make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and do you look for certain things in terms of how it's presented? Uh, for example, do you prefer a dedicated website over a PDF? Um, do you prefer people to go into a lot of detail about each uh, piece of work? Or do you like a very brief, short, to the point? Um, I don't... Oh, that is a good question. I, it doesn't really bother me, if I'm honest. Because I just sort of want to see the work. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's a very helpful answer, but I. Just but even think, so, yeah. I mean, don't you take somebody who has a, a kind of like a finished website more seriously than somebody who maybe just has an Instagram? No, no, okay, not any. I think not anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's definitely still a case for that, but I think. Also, clients are using and, and searching for artists so heavily through Instagram. You know, so okay, many of our yeah. artists get approached, especially by brands, through direct messaging on Instagram. Really? Yeah, it's, it's really, uh, you know, and it's, so, it's a social media platform. So who knows if it's how long it's here to stay for, if something else will overtake it or, you know, what have you in, in the next few years. But, but it does, uh, I, I do think, clients are driving far more towards Instagram even the websites these days mm -hmm. mm. yeah and then and and you think big brands sometimes can uh, select an artist just based on Instagram alone and not actually visit the website at all I think they probably go hand in hand but I th I don't think it would necessarily do a disservice to the artist to not have a website if they have a really robust Instagram profile Mm -hmm. Or if they have a really big following and you can real, really get a feel for the artist and who that person is on their Instagram alone. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, that's actually a really good question and I'm not fully sure of the answer, but yeah. I, I don't know. I guess it always surprises me how many DMs you get from people who uh, wanted you work with you on Instagram just because uh my my idea of instagram isn't exactly like a place of business i mean i i more and more it's become that for me because mm. it is just for I, i use it mostly professionally and i don't really use it personally but um it's still somewhat surprising to me i guess that uh that that you would get work over a dm on instagram yeah <laughs> yeah it surprises me i think it's a bit nuts but it absolutely it happens um yeah. yeah but i think i think as you know as many as many ways you can get your work out there is really the right you know a sensible answer you know if you can have instagram but you have a website as well as you're sending lots of emails as well as maybe doing a print a promo i think it's just trying to hit people up but and i mean if, if we can be clear about this Not being on Instagram as an illustrator today is probably a mistake. Probably. Yeah. I, I mean, really it's, not, it's, me not like a, <laughs> it's not like a hard and fast rule that you have to be yeah. on Instagram if you're good, but it, it does allow you many more opportunities than if you weren't on Instagram. I, I do think so. As, as much as I'm not necessarily happy i'm saying that i i do i would agree yeah mm. can you talk a little bit about 
I guess the most common mistakes that you've seen illustrators make when it comes to their portfolio or how they present themselves? Hmm. Um, like, are there things that, that kind of uh, trigger a warning sign in you when you see a, a new illustrator? I I think probably the number one thing is if I feel that their work is too heavily borrowed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes me a little bit cross, but not not at them. Um, you know, sometimes you do see it. Sometimes you can't, you do see it like when you go around the grad shows or DNAD and it makes me kind of a little bit... Uh, frustrated because I for them almost because I'm like surely somebody spotted it you know Mm -hmm. but then maybe not but I just think all of our frames of references are so wide now because we're all so exposed to everything and you know all of the time and I think also it can happen entirely accidentally because we are seeing things all of the time it's really Mm -hmm. hard to do something completely original and unique and different um but I think that that I find that frustrating sometimes because I'm like, if you if you if, you know you obviously have a passion for this, but what are you about? Don't do mm-hmm. what someone else has done. Like, f- how do we work on what? Like, how who's around you to support you to help you figure out what you're about? Because mm-hmm. it makes me think that people haven't been honest to them. Mm, yeah a little bit mm-hmm. i i mean that's so interesting that you said that because the last agent i talked to matthew lebaron actually i think his answer was relatively similar so oh. that's interesting that <laughs> among agents that's the yeah. thing that really kind of troubles you i guess um i want to know like how do you spot that something is you know um borrowing too much from someone uh, as opposed to somebody who is maybe inspired by an artist, uh, maybe let's say somebody who really set a trend in style. Like I think of Malika Favre and a lot yeah. of people now um, kind of borrow from her, um, some, some more liberally than others. Um, but how do you kind of differentiate between somebody who's borrowing too much and somebody who is uh, who was inspired by that person but has kind of made it their own? this is a really daft answer (laughs) it is but it bothers i mean it bothers me and i always ask myself question about my own work in that way yeah it keeps me up at night sometimes it's it's like uh, my answer to that question would be i will go back through their website or i will scroll down their instagram feed to see if they've Uh always been doing that kind of work yeah because if they've only if i see something and i'm like Oh, this is really because because also it's always a question of who came first, you know? Yeah. And it's yeah, I'm you know, Malika is just an, she is so masterful and her work is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And she has been around for so long and she's so prolific and iconic, you know. She is yeah. the she is the, the originator. Original, yeah. You know, she is, yeah. absolutely. That is not in doubt. But then you know, if it's a different style or you see something and you think, oh, that's a bit like so-and-so's. And then you kind of look back this person's feed and you think, 
oh, they weren't doing this a year ago. Wow, my God, that's different. That mm. makes me think that they're more someone who is bending their style to what they feel is commercially relevant right now to try to achieve work than mm. someone who is necessarily a true artist. Mm. I guess the way that I see it, maybe because of my own experience, is that sometimes it takes a little bit of trial and error to find what you're comfortable with. That so that true. might be the case too. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. But I also understand what you're saying. I mean, if suddenly something pops up and you feel like it's really just uh, somebody capitalizing on a trend that they recently observed, um, then it can feel a little bit, a little bit odd. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really, it's really hard. And again, it's also really hard to know when you're, you know, it's really hard to, um, you know, and possibly not a very nice thing to do to, ju- you know, to, to make an assumption about somebody's work without. And I think also that's when meeting the person is so important. Like when mm-hmm. we do, we meet our artists because you will get a real sense for, are they on a, what kind of journey are they on? Where's their career heading? What are their experiences? You know, is it that mm-hmm. they're, it's it, they are trying different things and they're still really exploring and it's going to evolve again or is it that they are too overly inspired by in a way that actually doesn't feel quite ethical mm. and maybe it doesn't even help them because well exactly yeah yeah i don't know yeah. I, I think it's i think it's incredibly complex yeah so I want to talk more about this because this touches in a way on um, on the issue of style. Um, do you worry when an illustrator has multiple different styles that they are comfortable using as opposed to one consistent visual language? Um, is that something that, w- what are your thoughts on that? I... I think it's just a different way of going about it. And I think it's equally valid. Um, uh, it's actually a really good, it's actually, I'm really glad you've asked that because I think it's a really good point. Um, it, I think the way that, I think if you have multiple styles, I think the way that you can go about gaining work, I think the approach just needs to be slightly different. Mm. Um, and we have artists that we work with on a regular basis, kind of coming from the angle you know, where we started, which is that we are much more of a production company than, you know, 2D illustration agency. Um, because there are projects that come to us where we apply a production first approach, you know, artists who are extremely skilled at multiple styles are really valuable to us. And I'm absolutely in awe of it because that is a whole skill in itself, being able to turn your hand to you know, whatever is in front of you. Um, so there's definitely, there's 100% a place in the industry and it's massively valued. I think it's, it's that, I think it's different. If you have, say, if you're an artist and you have, say, two or three very distinct different styles, like maybe one, one of it is a key line style and one of it is without, mm-hmm. then you, you know, that's not necessarily a thing. It, 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 you know, in terms of how you promote yourself, I don't think you necessarily need to upend how you do that. But if you're an artist who doesn't really have a style or is comfortable or is restless with one signature style and it doesn't come to you easily, but you can, 
your skill is rendering in loads of different ways, mm-hmm. then you need to find those prop those production first projects because then you are the solution. Yeah. You know, if a client is like, okay, we've got this brand owned style for this, I don't know, packaging brand or a cereal brand or a character mascot or something, you know, and we need 50 iterations of this all in different poses by the end of the month, you know, those kind of briefs absolutely exist. Yeah. And it's not a brief I would want to get as somebody who has one style, for example, because I would feel like it wouldn't be my work. Yeah. So yeah, I can see how how that would be very much so the the, the kind of work that you would pursue more directly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I let's talk a little bit more about uh, promotion and self promotion. I guess mm. you do the promotion for your um, for the illustrators that you represent. I imagine they also do some rep- some promotion themselves um, for some of them. I guess, um, but a lot of illustrators really struggle with that with promoting themselves and feeling confident enough to reach out to clients, especially when they're starting out. Um, and I think sometimes they wonder if they're ready to reach out to potential clients and to kind of say, Hey, this is my work. And I think we could work together. Um, do you, what do you, how do you judge if an illustrator's work is, is ready to be used in that way or if they're ready to really work with clients? That's, that's a really interesting question. I think that, I think that most of the artists that we take on are already in the position where, they have already commercial experience to some extent. Even yeah. with futures, they probably have some. But if they haven't, you know, we because we've met them, we understand them, you know, we know that they can they can handle it. I think the most important thing I would say is absolutely do not be shy of approaching clients. Go for it. Mm-hmm. But you do have to be, maybe confidence is the wrong word, you do have to be assured to a certain extent of the work that you are sending them, only mm-hmm. because what you put out there is what you're going to get back. Mm-hmm. So if you're sending something that you actually really don't like, you know, you probably wouldn't do that. But if you're forcing yourself so much to do self-promotion that you're sending something that actually your heart's not in or something that took you six months when actually you're sending it to a commercial client who might only have a probably a likely turnaround of two weeks, you kind of just have to be, I would kind of assess knowing when you're ready to start putting your work out there when you when you feel ready. Because mm-hmm. I think the flip side of it is in, interestingly, I had this conversation a number of times um, doing portfolio surgeries at DNAD last year. New Blood. Mm-hmm. There's a huge pressure for like for people who are graduating or people who are starting out. You know, I think also this can come from Instagram. You know, that sort of shiny, polished. Yeah, you're curating what you show people. You're not really seeing the the real hard things or sometimes the tears or the struggles or the anxiety or the everything behind the work you're only seeing people's highlights and the bits they want to show to the world you you know you can take your time 
I know people have bills to pay and I know that, you know, it, it, if you've paid a lot to study, then you, you, there is a huge amount of pressure and increasingly so to make a career yeah. successful. Uh, but also you you were never going to graduate and be like a fully formed product so take the heat mm-hmm. off yourself a little bit like i think there's a huge amount of pressure to be like right i'm done now i've got an instagram profile i've got my website i've got to be successful now mm-hmm. and i think that's really hard because i think it's a lot mm-hmm. and another um aspect of of promotion is really how you should promote yourself and there's different there's different um, ideas about how you should do that. Um, where do you stand on that? Should you, I mean, we talked a little bit about Instagram and how popular of an option it is among illustrators and clients. Um, but should you send postcards? Should you email people directly? Yes. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think it's, a, it, I've always thought, and I still maintain, it's a mix of different ways because I think it's about, it's about your profile as an artist and it's about people connecting the dots and also um, remembering you. Mm-hmm. And it's so much of it is about that right time, right place thing. You know, when a brief lands or a brief that's just perfect for you, you know, Every once in a while, we'll send an email to a client, you know, whether it's somebody that we're doing new outreach to or somebody that we know really well. Um, and they'll be like, oh my God, this is perfect timing. I've just had this thing land. And had we not been proactive in that moment, uh, you know, and, and it's not just to them. We've probably sent like 30 emails in the last, mm-hmm. however, you know, the last after lunch or whatever it's because it really is a numbers game as well um it's so important to be front of mind and i think as many ways if you can be strategic and do that in a way that isn't you know you don't want to call someone up then send them a postcard the next day, and then send them an email and email them yeah. the day after because that's too much. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you need to you need to kind of give it space and you need to keep track of, of when you're contacting yeah, them. Exactly, yeah. you know that's that, that's over persistent. Don't do that. But like you know, if it's a if it's a, a postcard, and then two weeks later you send an email to say, "Oh, I sent you this. I just wanted to check if you got it." Here's mm-hmm. my details. Here's a couple of JPEGs or whatever. And then if you don't hear anything, then you send another email. Um, you've just got to be pers- you've got to be persistent. Mm. Um, and I think it's the full matrix of things that help people remember you. Yeah, and not hearing back right away on your first contact is is not a rejection. Oh my God, no way. Like, I think I read something recently and we were just literally repeating this in the studio yesterday um, because we were doing a load of outreach and not getting any replies. It was like, oh my God, it's so disheartening. And you're like, but I know people are seeing it. And mm-hmm. sometimes you do that, you don't get a reply mm-hmm. and you send another one two weeks later and you still don't get a reply. Right. And then you send another one and then you might get a, Remind me of this in however long, you know. I think it was something like it takes at least three, four, or five emails before people actually reply. That's it doesn't scary. mean then I know, but it doesn't mean they're not looking at it. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
that's the thing. It doesn't mean they're not looking at it. It's just people are so, so busy and their inboxes yeah. are overflowing. So I mm-hmm. think don't don't be put off, be persistent. Yeah. And I guess, do you still think that sending physical things is is a good strategy? I wonder about that because the cost that's involved in, well, I, I've talked to an art director at least who 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 said that they didn't really look through those because they get a lot of them. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think if you can, I would say yes, but then I know, I know certain people who don't keep things like that Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'll go and meet them and I'll try and give them our stickers or beer coasters or whatever it is at the end of a meeting. And I'll be like, you don't really want these, do you? (laughs) They're like, no, sorry, you know, I don't keep things (laughs) and that's fine. But then other people just absolutely covet them and love them because they don't get things or because they do and they keep a box of all of it. You can't, like, it's really hard to call it. But I think if you can do something that, you know, something that doesn't cost you the absolute earth, Mm-hmm. but that is really highly targeted and as personal as you can make it or as relevant or as special as you can make it to the person you're sending it to i think i think that would be that would be my tip mm, yeah yeah and i've definitely seen a lot of different examples of that in the illustrators that i've talked to sometimes just genius ways to promote themselves like not just a postcard but something so unique to the industry that they're targeting it's really amazing absolutely yeah yeah um talking more about pricing do you as an agent who's seen a lot of of clients and handled a lot of illustration um uh, contracts do you think there's a larger scale problem with the way that clients tend to value or price illustration today I think it's tough because I think that there's a there's an even larger problem than I think there's an even larger problem in that I think the whole way creative work as a whole whether mm. it's design whether it's I think you know whether it's a campaign that an agency is trying to get through I think the whole creative industry isn't as valued perhaps as much as it could be mm-hmm. and i think there's a huge trickle down effect um it so yes i do agree with that um but i also think there's a huge role that i think there's a huge role that and i don't know what the answer is because i've you know this has been on my mind for a long time and i, I imagine you know, it's something yeah. we often talk about mm-hmm. is how do you better educate to also uphold the market mm. as a community as a whole? Because it's not, yes, there are a lot of inexperienced clients out there. Mm-hmm. And yes, they will not negotiate when they go to the shop. You know, they know what a price of a loaf of bread or a pint of milk is, and they won't say, oh, well, you know, we'll give you a bit of exposure, so can I have that for free? Mm -hmm. It really puzzles me how then it's different when it's a creative thing because it shouldn't shouldn't be. But because somehow it feels intangible or it's different or Mm -hmm. it's just what happens and it's not right, 
Um, but I think there's a role to be done in making sure that people coming into the industry as creatives are educated enough to make sure that they aren't taken advantage of based on their inexperience. Because I think sometimes that is also what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have an inexperienced client or a client who isn't necessarily deliberately trying to pull a fast one, but the budget just isn't what it should be, versus mm-hmm. somebody who's coming in who also doesn't have an understanding of copyright or license or what, you know, what we as an agent might say, well, actually, that job should be worth probably around about this and goes in much lower, then it can quite quickly become a race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is. It's yeah. a really tough one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I guess the way that illustrators react to that also dictates what then the art director is going to ask for in a later project. Um, 100%. 100%. Yeah. And, and this is where I think also, I had a really interesting conversation with this, with an art buyer um, at an ad agency, is that also this is where the agent, you know, it's in the agencies, the creative agencies interest to uphold standards. Mm-hmm. Because if I do think illustration gets a really tough time, like when it's compared to photography, for example, you know, how much a photographer can charge for a day rate versus an illustrator mm-hmm. is just, it, yeah, I'm, it, it's bonkers. I think that part of this comes from the fact that people, they admire photography because they think they can't do it themselves. Whereas I, I think a lot of people think this is just illustration. You know, I understand what it is. It's just drawing. Um, oh, <laughs> I don't know. Mad. That's madness, yeah. isn't it? Because I would, I would, I mean, I don't think that I'm a photographer and I wouldn't say, you know, and I wouldn't say I can do that. Right. But I sure as hell wouldn't think that I could, I would be the opposite. I would be like, mm. well, I, I can't do that, but I absolutely no, I cannot do that. <laughs> Draw that image like that. You know, it's, but um, I don't know. But what this art buyer was saying was, you know, there's a responsibility on them as well to make sure that they are upholding fees because if their end client, the brand, if they get used to, or if the agency doesn't say, actually, we should be paying more than that, you know, and push back to the client, that the next time they want to sell in a big talent or a really prolific artist, mm-hmm. the client, exactly as you said, the client will, there will have been a precedent set and yeah. the client will be like, but we only paid this last time. Why do we have to pay this now? Mm-hmm. How about people who, you know, might be pressured to take jobs in the beginning, whether that's because they have financial pressures or just because they can't find work. But what about people who do that and then say something like, well, listen, this isn't the usual price that is standard for this kind of work, but I'm willing to do it um, because X and, and Y. It's hard. And this also, um, this is something I've thought about a lot as well. And again, I don't know what the answer is because I think that, you know, we're, we're speaking from a place of absolute privilege as an mm-hmm. agent with, you know, and so are our rostered artists it's hard to get an agent you know who has that insight to say well actually we think this job is worth this much Mm because a lot of people don't have access to that and I I really understand that um and if you need to pay your rent and you have bills and you get the amount you get the amount that you need to 
make a living, but maybe you don't know that actually an agent would have put an extra zero on the end, then mm-hmm. is that necessarily a bad deal for you personally? I don't know. You know, it's it's really it's really tough. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we are to be entirely transparent. We do it as well. You know, okay, well, we'll do that deal for you. You know, um, but th- we absolutely don't want to set a precedent. But you know what? That artist is in between projects at the moment and we understand that's all you've got. And the creative is really interesting. The timings are all right. So fuck it. Let's do it. So do you usually tell that client, this isn't the price you should expect for this yes. kind of thing? I think the difference, I, I, my kind of golden rule is, I think the difference is whether the client understands the uh, understands you are doing them a favour or not. It's like mm-hmm. whether they, I think if a client understands the value, what the actual value should be, but appreciates the fact that they are getting a really good deal, then it, then that can sometimes be okay. If they don't, if they have no idea mm-hmm. or were a, a bit flippant about the fact that they're getting a really good deal or their language isn't, doesn't feel right when you're trying to negotiate with them or they're being dismissive of actually what the proper price should be and they're not treating the work with integrity, then mm-hmm. I don't think you should do the deal and I don't think you should do the work for a lower price because they don't understand now and they're not prepared to listen or learn. I think for me, if it's somebody who you know respects the work and what the true value should be, but they're being really transparent and open with you that they're in a real spot Mm -hmm. and the other factors work, then that's an honest communication and you can make that work. Yeah. To me, it's more dangerous when it's a client who doesn't really understand it, but who wants it anyway. Yeah. And and I actually have more personal experience with that is that when you take something, I mean, it's happened to me in the very beginning and I didn't know any better, but when you take something that's at a very low price, don't tell that person that that is normal. They usually are the worst clients to work with because they actually have very unrealistic expectations and usually are not very professional about the way that they deal with you as the illustrator. Um, and it's and in fact, you would think that they would treat you better because they're paying less and but they really don't assume that they're doing you a favor sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Because they Oh that un- you're doing them, sorry, a favor. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes also, I mean, we've heard this a lot lately. I know there was that whole controversy with the James Bond movie, uh, and them hiring a designer uh or an yeah. illustrator and not paying them and just giving them exposure. But that's something that has become kind of a joke in the industry where it's like, you're getting exposure for this. You're not getting money. You're getting exposure. Yeah. How do you feel about that kind of deal? I think there's, on the whole, I don't feel great about it. I think there's a time and a place for it. I think that there, I think as, I think as businesses, try to move more into a space where they're operating in more of a kind of social or environmentally conscious way i think there's more of a rise in pro bono briefs or Mm -hmm. you know causes for the greater good and projects surrounding that Well, that's kind of different i guess yeah yeah um so then i think but i think when it comes to 
like the James Bond thing. I don't, I didn't agree with that. And I don't think, you know, because they're going to make money studio. off of that. And it's exactly. not, it's not for a cause. It's not to be yeah. clear. It was to design the poster for the movie, I think. And it wasn't going to benefit anybody else, but the studio yeah. um, in the end. Yeah. Um, I think it just, you know, we have, we have done projects for exposure. Some of our artists have, mm-hmm. um, so there's not, a, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule to say that all projects like that are bad and you shouldn't do them, mm-hmm. but they have to, you have, there's got to be something that really engages you in wanting to do it. And they have to be, you have to feel they're coming from a really genuine place. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think totally avoid them. Do you do you think all illustrators should um, sort of have a a contract ready, like a boilerplate contract? Um, I think you could. I mean, we don't. You know, as a as a business, the way that we don't issue our own contracts, mm-hmm. um, we uh, you know often the client will issue theirs and then you'll um, modify it mm-hmm. yeah um a lot of the time but not always but you know there are some all right contracts out there and then <laughs> mm-hmm. um but we are just always really really clear with the key things we you know once we've agreed a project we've agreed a fee we've agreed it in writing over an email you know we'll send paperwork which is just our standard estimate which just clearly outlines the agreed fees, what the rights and usage are, and then there's like a page on the back of, you know, our standard boilerplate T's and C's, which is payment terms and copyright mm. and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you could do something like that mm-hmm. and then just carry that through and mirror that on your invoice. Mm-hmm. But I, I I don't know, it'd be interesting. I mean, I wonder if maybe the AOI issue i think they issue maybe commissioning forms or something similar Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but i don't think i think as long as the key things are there like your payment terms you've agreed rounds of amends you it's really clear what the fee is it's really clear what the usage terms are that you retain the copyright i don't think you necessarily need a contract Mm -hmm. i just think it's those top line things as long as those are clear and in writing that would be what i'd advise um Payment terms are interesting because I think a lot of times, especially when, I don't know, when working for clients and not having agents, you could struggle to collect payments a little bit. Um, and client different clients have different ways of paying you and it kind yeah. of feels like that's non-negotiable sometimes. Um, what What's appropriate to negotiate in that way? I mean, can you really ask somebody to pay you in advance or pay you a portion in advance? I think if if it's a big project, if it's gonna if it's a big project and it's significantly gonna book you out, mm-hmm. you know, for say, I don't know, six weeks solid or something like that, mm-hmm. then and you know, and I'm assuming that the budget is proportionate to booking you out yeah. for six weeks solid, uh-huh. you know, uh, whatever the relevant usage is as well, then absolutely you can ask for fifty percent upfront payment because mm-hmm you know you you are unable to take on the project is of a size that you're unable to take on any other work throughout that time period um so i think that is totally justifiable so um, you would make a case to the client um yeah that that's yeah. Case. yeah yeah um i think if you if you're engaging with a client overseas 
perhaps mm-hmm. who you haven't dealt with before, I think it's entirely justifiable to ask for an amount up front mm-hmm. just to kind of be really secure about it. Mm-hmm. Um, those are kind of the only real, you know, anim- interestingly on animation projects, because there's so much production involved, it's absolutely standard that you get 50% up front. Oh, okay. Mm, but not on illustration. No. Um, so it's quite interesting. So those those first two scenarios that I outlined, that would be when I would tend to ask for 50% up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just be really clear with them from the off of what your terms are. You know, I suppose standard terms are 30 days. Yeah. Some big companies have even like 90 days. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh man, that's so unfair. Yeah. No, uh, but you sort of wonder on. why it takes so long yeah <laughs> yeah and you have to jump through so many vendor hoops and all of that you know um mm-hmm. yeah but i think and i think you just have to be on them you mm-hmm. just have to really really be on them do you guys use any kind of like software for invoicing or Ooh, I no yeah i don't know we we will do and we will but i'm we're very lucky we've got an absolute wonderful fd who um, sorts all of that out (laughs) yeah no i've had a lot of questions from people recently about invoicing and and i'm asking myself the same question Mm. what what's the best tool for that and yeah i thought i would ask but um it's not a big deal if you don't know the Mm. exact um so i i wanted to ask one uh other question which is What's your advice to illustrators who who are struggling to find paying clients? What steps can they take to kind of uh, find more work? It's a, it's a question that comes up again and again, um, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, I think you you have to... I think you have to make sure that you are following through on your own self-promotion. Because, you know, I think there is a a case in certain scenarios. I think once you've reached a certain level of profile, you Mm -hmm. can be less, you can can push less, you know. I think there is an argument in terms of if you're creating the right work and you're kind of setting that trend and you're forging your own profile and your own path and people will come to you. But I Mm -hmm. think when you're starting, I think that's a bit misleading when you're starting out sometimes. I think it's absolutely true and I completely believe in it, but I do think you have to hustle really hard if you are needing to be paid ASAP to make this work I think you just have to make sure that that you're properly following through on your full marketing plan and hitting up all those matrix of points that we said before um I would also say you know don't be don't be afraid of doing something else to supplement your income Mm -hmm. you know if you so you know a lot of our artists do that um I've known a lot of artists both through work and who are friends who also you know, maybe they do something that also creatively feeds them. Like they choose, they visit, they do guest lecturing at university a couple of days a week or every once in a while to supplement their income as well. You know, it's not, you're not, you're not failing in any respect if you're not making money full time. It's really hard and people take up different things at all different points in their career because your income is 
you're freelance and the reality is your income will fluctuate over the next five years, 10 years, if this is what you're doing full time. Um, I just think keep going, don't lose faith, but also be really open, like keep questioning and evolving your work. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think that you can, you know, if you really, really are hustling really hard and it's not happening, I think you have to also look at your work and think, right, is there something that's not quite working? What's like, what is, and ask for people's opinions and try and get meetings with the client, meet people face to face try and go and see like talk really openly to your peers get different people's opinions and feedbacks into your work and are there small things that you could do is it just how you present it if you presented it more in context would it help people make the connection and how they could use it and you know and these are the conversations we're having with our artists all of the time Mm -hmm. you know trying something new and a small little tweak and thinking about this we're getting asked loads of this at the moment you know this feels like it could really fit with where you say your goals are for this year let's Mm -hmm. do a couple of self-initiated pieces like this so I think you just have to make sure that you're always being active and moving forward because I think the toughest thing is when you lose momentum Mm -hmm. and I think that can really impact your confidence yeah and I, I guess also I see, um, I speak for myself when I say that it's hard to be patient, even when you're, especially when you're active like that, mm. because you kind of, you're on a, a high of doing all these things and you want things to happen now. Um, and how, I don't, I guess, how long should you wait? Um, you know, I guess if you're doing all these things um, and you feel confident in your work, how long is too long to be waiting without getting, you know, work to start questioning your work? Oh, that's really, really hard. Um, yeah, it is. But it, I, I think I, that sometimes people have an expectation that maybe they should be able to do it in two months or something. Um, no. And that could be kind of, that could hurt a lot of people because I don't think it's very realistic. I used to... um I used to say, and I remember Helen saying this back when I was at Agency Rush as well, um, you know, and I think it's definitely expediated these days. Mm-hmm. Um, With social media. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, uh, sometimes it can take up to a year, mm-hmm. you know, even sometimes as an agent taking on an artist to really build up the momentum, to really build up, you know, to be to have done enough groundwork and to have laid the foundation of a profile and to have told enough people in the mm-hmm. right places and to have so I sort of think, and reminded them over and over again, yeah right? exactly yeah. you know like a year 18 months but that's you, from from an agent who's doing a lot of the work uh so supposedly when you're doing it by yourself it might it, even take longer it might or it might not you know mm-hmm. we we it's 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 a really tough question to answer, but I think as long as you're not standing still, you know, people, you have to be outputting, you have to be outputting whether that's your work or whether that's your networking, whether that's your self-promotion. You know, I think if you are, what you can't do is sit still and expect people to find you mm-hmm. if you're not putting out new work, you know if you're mm-hmm. not doing those things because then it won't 
happen. Yeah. You've got to kind of, and I know confidence is, is so key and it's really hard because it's really, really hard. And I'm absolutely not underestimating that. Mm-hmm. But you, you've got to put, you've got to put it out there and just mm-hmm. have conversations with people and opportunities will present themselves. Yeah. And this is a slightly different version of this question, but if you could give illustrators one piece of advice, um, it could be professional or personal, what would it be? Um, do what feels right for you. Make sure you're creating work that you enjoy and feels true to yourself. And, and keep going. Don't, don't lose faith. Just keep mm-hmm. going. I'd like, yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have a, a couple of really fast little questions to close off uh, okay. our talk. Uh, what's What's the worst part of of your job? Oh, it's when you it's when you get the phone call or you get the email when you haven't won a project that mm. you so you so just was so excited about (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm. do you take it personally like do you think you take it as personally as the artist sometimes no and i'm being really honest there because also i think as an agent it's you know i wouldn't want to pretend that i could or that i fully understand that position because you know i'm not freelance i'm you know i'm on a salad like I, i i can't i don't want to sort of assume that i I'm in their shoes in that respect. Um, But, but, you know, when you have worked together so hard on a treatment or putting together all the figures and doing all the negotiations and you're feeling really confident because you've built a really good relationship with the client and you've like all of these things, you feel that you've done, like you've done every morsel in your being to try to make that job happen. And then it doesn't for reasons fully out of your control and you, you know, and it happens all the time. And I've, I've become fairly immune to it yeah. in a way because I have, I, you know, that's part, otherwise you're just riding a roller coaster every day mm-hmm. of like, and you can't, you can't, it's not sustainable. But like, I think when you know it's a really fantastic opportunity for that artist personally and the creative is bang on and it's career defining and it doesn't happen, it, that that's that is still hard Mm -hmm. yeah what's the best part of your of your job when you win those projects (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) i imagine it it's kind of a high to to win those projects sometimes i mean yeah because yeah yeah do you do you do you establish friendships with some of the illustrators that you represent Um, absolutely Yeah. yeah 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 it's important you know because it's a business relationship yes we're a business yeah. but also we're in the creative we're in the creative business and it's really personal and you're working with the artists and you're getting to know them and understanding their personal ambitions their creative ambitions and you know maybe they you achieve that that dream project which has a fee to match which means they can achieve a personal life ambition mm-hmm. and or you get to know you know when they have babies or if they have health issues or you know it's you get to know them you have to Mm -hmm. yeah yeah 
Yeah. What's what's something that most people don't know about you? Oh, I don't know. I was going to say that I studied illustration, but I said that already, and I don't. I don't know if that really is that interesting. So <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> is there a hobby that you that you have that you don't share with most people? Or oh no, I don't. Oh no, I don't want to. Let's not. <laughs> let's not go down that path. <laughs> um, no, I'm not sure. I think. I think you know. It, and without getting too much into it, it, it it's it's um we do ride those waves with the artists as well, you know, like we were saying about winning and losing jobs and it's uh-huh. when you care about it, you, you do get so invested and involved. And I think sometimes it is tough to be the be the the business person as mm. well as the, you know, it's the there are certain sort of, you know, <sighs> to keep up that resilience i -hmm. think across a roster of artists all the time as well as being so busy and pushing things forward all the time you know these are all the reasons why i love my job but they are also the things that sometimes make it quite a tough job um do you think it's a tougher uh job for women because it's so dependent on this kind of the tough negotiator all that stuff and we all know that there are a lot of stereotypes about women in that uh, in that way. I don't. I don't know if I'm honest. Probably yes. Actually, yes, yes. Because the number <laughs> of <laughs> I think it depends who you're dealing with. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and I think it. I think as a woman, it does. And I think it comes with experience. I think I feel less like that now. Mm-hmm. because I've been doing it for a long time but I you know I think when you're starting out absolutely because you don't have your own you don't necessarily feel your experience or feel your gravitas mm-hmm. I think as soon as you can sort of say hang on a minute you know or you can really kind of use that experience and your confidence to say that's not how it should be and you mm-hmm. can say no, and you can enter those really tough negotiations feeling really confident, then mm-hmm. I think it's hard. And then, yes, I think it's harder being a woman because I think sometimes you don't always kind of have to prove yourself before you get taken seriously, I think, sometimes. Yeah. In those yeah. kind of scenarios. Yeah, so, I would yeah, imagine. You're, yeah. you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, Nikki, the, um, it was really nice to talk to you. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I know you're really busy, so I really appreciate it. You are welcome. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for your time as well, Julia. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nikki Field. Nikki, thank you for your time and for answering all my questions. It was a real pleasure to talk with you. If you're curious about any of the things we talked about, uh, people, uh, projects, check out this episode's show notes at illustrationhour.com forward slash field. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing to my weekly newsletter, Art Club. It's made especially to help creatives thrive, and it's my way of sharing resources, inspiration, tools, and more directly with you. It's also the best way to ask me questions or interact with me. Just hit reply on any of the newsletter's issues, and I'll get back to you. Find out more on illustrationhour.com forward slash newsletter. It means a lot to me. All right. That's it for this week. I hope you all have a very safe and creative week.